This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast presented by the Center for Cyber Ethics. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking with some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. And now it's our opportunity to give a shout-out to our inaugural mission partner. Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for the Cybertraps podcast series, a digital advertising consultancy with an ethos Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen 300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and organizational training for media publishers, give them a call. For more information on working with Scott and Buoyancy Digital, visit buoyancydigital.com or at Scott R Media on LinkedIn. Hey there, Jethro. Hello, good to see you. Sorry, we're a little <laughs> late today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I like to say, tech happens. So, <laughs> oh boy, does it? Does it indeed? Well, it's good to get ourselves underway. We've got an interesting show here on the concept of digital hygiene. Yeah, and I'm actually excited about this because I think digital hygiene is one of those things that we uh, think about and talk about very little compared to how much we should. So first of all, what is digital hygiene? It is the practice of cleaning up your electronic information assets and regularly 
updating them? And how often do you think about that, Fred? Not often enough is the answer to that. Um, as you know, it was interesting as I was preparing for this show, I was kind of grading myself on the different things that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And yeah, and, you know, there's some stuff I feel okay about. And then there's some other stuff that, uh, yeah, maybe I need to up the game a little bit. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'll talk about those as we go through today. Yeah, for sure. I did the same thing and I was like, man, I have about, uh, in my password managers, this is one thing. I have a ton of websites that say this is a security breach or a reused password. And I just haven't ever, um, you know, been able, you know, to uh, to overcome that and get that uh, stuff taken care of. So, well, I'm I have ready. a suggestion. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're in parallel on that. But I actually think that I have a suggestion that will help all of us out when we get to that section of the show today. So... We'll work on that. But I think one of the things that's useful is to let people who are listening to this know that this is a lead-in to episode 25 of the Cybertraps podcast, which features an interview with a Navy officer, Brandon Karp, who has years of experience in cybersecurity. And during the course of that interview, I was really struck by his idea that cybersecurity is really the responsibility of all of us. And, you know, we tend to think of things that take, you know, cybersecurity in the concept uh, or context of national security or organizational security. But one of the things that I thought he did a really great job with is helping to explain how the actions we all take as individuals can affect those much bigger forms of cybersecurity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we recognize that it's the responsibility of all of us, then it changes how we approach things. And especially if you work in a um, in a company or with a group of other people where you're all taking, you know, uh, have access to sensitive data. If you don't all see it as something that we need to do together, then that's going to be really challenging to keep everybody safe. So, so I appreciate that, and I think that that is really uh, quite important. Uh, the first well, topic. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it's it's a it's just a great observation with which to start. So over to you. Okay, officially we'll we'll get started. So we're going to uh, start by talking about password managers because as we talk to people, one of the things they say is the the most important thing you can do is have a good password that you use for a specific website. Now, what they don't say is to have that one good password and use it everywhere, because <laughs> if one place gets breached, then every place else gets breached. So let's talk first about strong passwords and what that means. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it, a strong password is pretty much self-explanatory, right? It's, it's a password that is robust enough to make it very difficult for someone to break into your account. Maybe the best way to explain this is that, you know, for a long time, I think until we started to get more sophisticated about this, people would use simple passwords that were, you know, words that could be found in a dictionary or that were repetitions of given characters, something ridiculous like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or a series of ones or something like that. And actually, increasingly, websites won't let you do that because they're just inherently weak passwords. The point about having a password that mix up symbol, mixes symbols and numbers 
into letters is that one of the tools that hackers frequently use is the so-called dictionary attack, where they use high-speed computers to just try every word in the dictionary to see if they can get into a given uh, user account. And so, you know, the way you you avoid that is twofold. Either you use a mixture of symbols and numbers, as we said, or you use multiple words for a given website, and that just elevates the number of um, the, the number of combinations that a hacker would have to try in order to break into your account. Mm-hmm. So this sounds very complicated. And yeah, it, 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 we're not innately designed to remember hundreds of passwords, different passwords for all the websites we use. So what do we turn to? We turn to software like password managers to help us handle this problem. Mm-hmm. And and that's where uh, we're going to share our favorite password managers right here. Um, mine is 1Password and yours is Dashlane. And really... Uh, you need to think about a couple of different things here. One, do you trust the company who's creating your, who's managing your passwords to keep it safe? So that's really important. And number two, is it easy to use? If you have a password um, that is 20 characters long, has capitals, lower cases, special characters, and uh, is, and doesn't make any sense at all, you need to be able to access that quickly because you're not going to be able to remember it. So you've got to be able to, to have it be an ease of use, but also something that is secure. So as I mentioned, my favorite one is one password. I've been using that for years and it is uh, actively developed. It's always being updated and they're adding new features that tell you when there's a weak password, for example, or tell you when something has been, um, uh, there's been a data breach. And so like this company has announced something, they notify you in the password manager that that is something that needs to change. And to be honest, you don't always get those notifications that something has changed. And some companies uh, even fail to notify their customers that those things have changed. And what I like about 1Password especially is that it works on all my devices and I can even access it through the website if I need to um, so that I don't have to, you know, if I'm on somebody else's computer, I can... I can still get to my secure passwords and it's not so challenging that I'm never going to be able to do it. Yeah, that that's a, a really big thing is that if the software you're using to manage your passwords is more complicated than remembering the passwords, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I feel the same way about Dashlane. I've been using that for years as well. The thing that everybody should remember Um, is that the way the reputable password managers work is that they encrypt your passwords on their service. So the point of that is that they can't retrieve your passwords if you forget the master password that you need to get into the program. So, you know, basically the goal here is for each of us to only have to remember one password, the one password that gets you into your password manager. Um, it's, you know, the, the, there's that old adage about not putting all of your eggs in one basket. Well, the corollary to that is if you're going to do that, just watch that basket really well. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so the goal is, you know, make sure that you know your one master password, put it somewhere safe. In terms of digital hygiene, right, this idea that we're going to clean up our electronic environment, you know, at the top of the show, we were talking about, well, what can we do to actually make things better? 
and like you, I've got a bunch of old websites that I don't have active accounts on. Those are security risks because, again, if there's a reused password or something like that, you're just as vulnerable as if you're using it every day. And then, yeah, I definitely have some repetitious use of passwords that I need to straighten out. So, you know, the goal would be small bites. You know, I think probably what I should resolve to do, and this is very much like our guest Josh Bodek, right? You make these small concrete steps every day. So if you go in and you clean up three passwords a day, either delete an account or change the password to something more secure, make sure there's no repetition, you know, in two, three months, you're probably going to have a much cleaner password setup. So that's what I will try to do. <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that that's a good strategy to do it. And I have 2,081 items in mine. So, okay. You might have to do more. <laughs> I might have to do more than three per day. But the good thing is, is that I have, because I have this database of everything there, um, I, I have every password pretty much that I've ever created. And that's what I think is so amazing is that all these old sites that I don't use anymore, I, I can, I know what the password is and I can get into them. And that, that makes it really handy to be able to, you know, find my stuff when I need it. Um, so, uh, strong recommendation to get a password manager, one password and Dashlane are just two of them. And to be clear, they're not, uh, they're not sponsoring this podcast. Um, though if they want to, we can certainly talk about that, but that's something where (laughs) we use them because they are so important and so powerful and they are worth an investment in them to keep your identity and everything else safe. And one jet, one, one quick last note on that, Jethro, I don't know if this is something you've set up, but, um, Dashlane at least allows you to designate somebody to get access to your passwords if anything happens to you. So that's something, for instance, I've been able to do with Amy is that, you know, if she ever needed to get access to my passwords, she can. Yeah. And so what we actually have set up with one password is a family plan, which is another benefit is that I can now have everybody in my family be part of my one password and I can share specific uh, passwords with them. And I have different vaults, one for each member of my family, and then they can access their stuff. Um, and then my wife is, is also an administrator on that. So she can, um, she can access that herself as well and change the kids' passwords and things like that too. Um, and then last thing on that, and then we'll really move on this time <laughs> is, <laughs> um, at, have a, uh, a piece of paper or something physical that you can put in your, uh, safety deposit box or someplace else where you keep important documents that tells how to get into this so that if something happens to you, then your family is not left, um, you know, with bills continuing to come out of certain accounts and they can go in and, and make all those changes. So um, that's a, uh, like an emergency um, file or something like that, that you can, that you can have just in case you ever need something like that and have that printed out somewhere set up where you can't really get uh get access to it unless you have um, you have access to everything else in your life. So put that somewhere very safe for sure. <laughs> um, so moving on, we'll talk about avoiding malware, things like viruses, key loggers, ransomware, and rats. I don't even know what rats are. What are you talking about there, Fred? A uh, rat is something that uh, popped up in my um, cyber traps for the young research and more recently in some of the privacy work. 
it's a remote access terminal software program and these get deployed on particularly laptops and are used to activate the camera without the permission of the person actually using the computer. Um, yeah, this this is a really popular way to um, harass people. Uh, sometimes leads to sextortion because photos get taken and then there's the threat of disclosure of the photos and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. um, it's just a form of unauthorized access to the computer that you want to make sure your anti-malware software is up to speed on. Yeah, so a few pieces of advice from from this section of avoiding malware is one, uh, minimize your downloads and know where you're downloading from. And just because they're one thing you have to recognize is that anytime you browse a website, you're downloading something to your computer. And so there are things that get downloaded automatically as you view a website, but then there's things that you actually download. And most modern web browsers come with something that says, do you want to allow a download from this particular website? And that is where it's downloading something not to the cache of the computer, but actually to your like downloads folder, for example, um, a file onto your computer separate from just the data that you load onto your computer as you're browsing the web. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a good opportunity to remind people that there's a real importance to checking the security settings on your browser and understanding how they work. Um, in most cases, if you go to the upper right corner of your browser, there's either a little hamburger symbol, the three lines stacked above each other. Um, you could call that the software stack or whatever you want to call it. Or there's a little gear icon for settings. Click on that, go into the security box for your browser. And if you don't understand something that's in that security section, do a little work on Bing or Google or whatever to familiarize yourself with it, just to make sure that the security settings are as high as you can put them. Obviously, the more the most secure browser is one that doesn't go online. So there's a limit to how secure that these things can be. But at the same time, you can make sure that the browser is preventing things from happening without your knowledge and your consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and on that, as you get emails, phishing emails is something that uh, we talk about frequently about people trying to get information from you or take you to a website uh, where you can download something or log into the wrong website. As you're looking at your, um, at your browser, your URL bar, where the website is that you're actually on, you want to see if there's a little lock icon, which means that it is a secure website. And that can be um, uh, inappropriate websites can be secured as well. Um, but then also uh, make sure that you know the address that you're going to. So if you bank with Wells Fargo, for example, and it is wellsfargo.scam.com, you're on the <laughs> Wells Fargo website. <laughs> so uh, also look at the spelling and just make it a habit to look at where you're actually going and pay attention to that. Because it's funny right now, but it's not funny uh, when you actually go to um, someplace. In fact, I have a good story about this. Um, just, uh, gosh, when was it? Was it Friday? Just Friday, I got an email from a school, and I do consulting with schools. And the email, it said, hey, please see this invoice and and follow up on it. And so I thought, 
oh, you know, somebody wants to pay me some money to do consulting with their school. I'm pretty excited about that. I should definitely do something to ensure that I get paid from these people. However, it was a, a school district that I had not done anything with ever before. And, and I never heard of them. And somehow they had my email address in their system, which I thought was, was strange to begin with. And so what I got from them was this email saying, please uh, pay. And I'm going to show it here for uh, sake of posterity so that people um, can see. Oh, that didn't come out very well. So maybe I'll take that off. Um, anyway, oh, let me take it all the way off. So what I, <laughs> <laughs> what they said was, please pay this invoice. And, and I'll read it to you so you can hear it. Kindly give your comment on the attached. Thanks. And then it was invoice dot three or three dot eleven dot twenty twenty. So the year was wrong, first of all. And then it was dot HTML. So thankfully, my system, my email system, made it look different than a regular PDF would look so that I'd be able to see it. But if I didn't pay attention, it would be really easy to just uh, click that and download something onto my computer, and then I'd be in trouble. So paying attention to those things is really um, important. You want to make sure that you do that. Well, and as I've mentioned um, in, in other episodes, my wife, Amy, gets these periodic training programs from the Fashion Institute of Technology where she teaches. And I've sat in on the last couple that she's done. They're actually produced by uh, the company with which uh, either Kevin Mitnick consults or he co-founded. But in any case, famous hacker turned white hat now teaches people how to avoid phishing mm -hmm. things. And that's actually one of the most important things to remind people is that not only um, do you need to look at the links and make sure they don't say .scam.org, which would be like the <laughs> least successful hacker ever, but you also need to hover over a URL that's in an email because it's perfectly easy to put a URL in the email that says one thing, but then actually goes to a different destination when you click on it. So as we have said so many different times, the key is to taking your time and use critical thinking when you see something. Don't just plunge in. Um, take a deep breath, wait a couple of beats, make sure you understand what you're actually doing. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. And no, that's all right. The time, <laughs> taking the time to do that is definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Um, finally, have some uh, pop-up blockers, maybe consider some ad blockers, different things to make sure that you're being safe. Uh, there, are, there are several different um, web browsers out there. You don't just have to use what comes on your computer. There's also uh, Firefox, of which Fred is a big fan. I'm a big fan of the Brave browser. Um, and there are lots of other ones. Opera is another one. Um, but make sure that you're using different kinds of web browsers to, to help you uh, stay safe as well. And um, the last piece on that, actually, uh, Jethro, if I can, is that in terms of the software that you need, When I know that when I first started really getting into uh, the World Wide Web and so forth, the, the anti-malware stuff was typically a third-party program that you'd have to go out and research, you know, whether it was Norton or McAfee or something like that. Um, over the years, I want to give a shout-out to both Apple and Microsoft because they have finally developed really effective 
uh, antivirus, anti-malware software that's built into the operating systems. And so for the vast majority of people who are listening to this, there's no need, Maccabee's going to love this, there's no <laughs> need to go out and get a separate antivirus program or an anti-malware program. Just make sure that your settings for, for instance, Windows Defender are properly configured, that the program is running, and you should generally be fine. Mm -hmm. And you can use a firewall built into your um built into the Mac OS operating system as well. And that is uh, there by default. So you don't have to do anything special to do that. You just have to turn it on because it's not on by default. Um, and then there are different things you can do, like encrypt your uh, hard drive using File Vault, which is a Mac OS thing. So those are those are great pieces of advice. And just look around and see what, what is in there. And that is um, a good place to start. Um, moving on, our uh, and then you all, by extension, you want to make sure you keep your operating system updated. And <laughs> that's a... where the security comes in. So, <laughs> well, that uh, is the thing. I mean, you know, it is amazing. Even in this day and age, these operating systems will sometimes, you know, leave holes. You know, there are updates that take place. And, you know, they, they're constantly trying to keep up with the patches needed to make these things as secure as possible. And it is important to underscore how profoundly complex all of this software is. I mean, the fact that it works as well as it does is a minor miracle. But, you know, as, as our guest on Thursday pointed out, the people who are trying to get into our systems only have to succeed once. If you want to keep them out, you have to succeed all the time. And mm -hmm. it's a very uh, disproportionate system. Yeah, uh, very not fair to us. But, <laughs> that's, but that's all right. Crime never has been fair. So there you no, go. <laughs> certainly not. So um, we want you to also practice safe surfing. Um, that is the other thing. There are a few things out there that you can do. Um, av avoid using public or open uh, Wi-Fi connections without protection. Um, and then we'll have some links in the show notes uh, to a, a bunch of different resources to help with this. Uh, but one of those things that we're going to talk, I think, the rest of the time about is a virtual private network. So Fred, will you just define what a virtual private network is and help us understand a VPN? Sure. Um, you know, virtual private network, um, you can pretty much break down the words and it's, it's relatively logical. But uh, according to the technology company Cisco, the definition that they provide is that a virtual private network or VPN is an encrypted connection over the internet from a device to a network. The encrypted connection helps to ensure that sensitive data is safely transmitted and it prevents unauthorized people from eavesdropping on the traffic and allows the user to conduct work remotely. So basically the idea here is that if I go into a Starbucks, I'm using an open Wi-Fi system that Starbucks runs. Um, they actually teamed up with Google to provide that service frankly, all over the world. I've, I've sat in some very obscure Starbucks and actually gotten work done, which is fabulous. But the problem is that it is relatively easy to eavesdrop on Wi-Fi traffic that takes place in such situations. And that the data and your keystrokes can be captured by someone who's eavesdropping on that connection. Now, the point of the virtual private network is that you use software on your device that encrypts your 
communication before it leaves your laptop. So then it's traveling over the open Wi-Fi in an encrypted fashion, and then it gets unencrypted when it reaches the servers of the virtual private network and then gets transmitted to its destination. So the very first question you have to ask yourself is, if I'm going to use a virtual private network, which we strongly recommend, then what, what do you know about the company that is providing that service? How much do you trust them in terms of handling your information? Mm -hmm. And this piece is really challenging because there so many websites are so difficult to get information from. Mm. And my, my father-in-law actually asked me a while ago what I use. And I went to, um, I went to a website called safetydetectives.com and there is a VPN mm. comparison chart by that one privacy guy. So, um, it, that I found to be a very, very detailed and uh, very like descriptive uh, example of how to choose something. And uh, my father-in-law, who's a super detail-oriented person and very uh, thoughtful in what he does, um, went on there and found was able to find the one that I was using. And he said, well, Jethro, it doesn't look like yours is the best one out there. Of course, my father-in-law would say that. Yeah. <laughs> And so, so I was able to go in and do some more research and see some things. And the reality is, is you're not going to find the perfect. Like there's always going to be something that is a, a challenge or something that's not perfect about it. And so you want to look for the things that are important to you. Privacy may be important than their uh, technical abilities uh, or their business practices might be more important than something else. And those are the three areas that they're, that they're ranked on. And what I really appreciate about this chart was that it, um, uh, that again, that safetydetectives.com uh, slash best hyphen VPNs. Uh, so you can find that. And I'll put the links to that in the show notes at cybertraps.com so that you can go and see it yourself. But what I re really appreciate about it is that it tends to give a pretty honest of view of those different things. And, helps you make some choices that um, that they've done a lot of the research for you. And so you have to, you know, again, ask, do you trust the research that they've done? And are they leaning a certain way? And from what I could tell, it doesn't look like they are, but it's important to, to look at those things. And one notable exception from that that's not on that list is Mozilla VPN, which I think we talked about last week and mm -hmm. uh, associated with uh, the Firefox um web browser, the Mozilla Foundation, and they're very big on privacy. So they would um, be a good one to look at. Well, I just took a quick glance at that page while you were explaining it, Jethro, and scrolled down and have to say, I'm relatively pleased that the VPN that I used over in England uh, came up uh, with pretty good marks. Okay. So again, not a sponsor, but I was using NordVPN. I found it to be very easy to use. It works on your mobile devices as well as on your laptop or desktop. Um, so that might be one to take a look at. A um, couple of other things about a VPN. I mean, it can be a little bit frustrating because there's a performance penalty that's involved in using a VPN. And one of the things that these companies do is that they try to optimize their software to minimize that. But there's going to be a little bit more of a delay because you have to encrypt the traffic. You're going through one or more servers 
en route to the destination. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, you may find that some things don't work quite as quickly, but you're trading that for security. The other thing I will say in, in the interest of full disclosure is that I wanted to keep up with a lot of things back here in the United States. And sometimes I was not able to log in from England to American websites for one reason or another. And one of the things that a VPN does is that it allows you to choose the geographic location of the server you're using. So it was relatively straightforward for me to pick a New York server. And to the United States website, it looked like I was based in New York. Mm -hmm. So just point of information for people. Yeah. And that's important also that you understand that if you are, uh, if you're starting to see something funky, it might be because the server that you're accessing through is located in a different country. And so, um, you know, that could, that could be a thing that you should just pay attention to. So as I mentioned, we'll put some links to that kind of stuff um, in the show notes so that you have more information about uh, how to make these choices. There's a great article from popular mechanics and what they say on there is, and I love this, that a good VPN costs money full stop. If you are not paying for the VPN, then you're paying for it with some other thing besides your money, which is likely your privacy, your your browsing data, whatever the case may be. Um, so pay attention to that and make sure that you're, you know, aware of of what you're doing. Um, and then finally, our our last thing that we you know talk about nearly every single episode <laughs> of Teams is you've got to have some critical thinking. You got to be able to make choices on your own and make some smart choices. Well, and just evaluate what you're doing and more than anything else. And honestly, we need to turn this into a t-shirt. Take the time to think about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Think before you post. I think that's a, that's a think before you use the internet, I think is what we need to do there. Here, here. All righty. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this show. Please leave us a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice. Thanks for being here and we'll see you on Thursday for our interview with Brandon Karp. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? 
You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.